Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 86, Global Understanding in the Classroom. My name is Sean Tiber. I am a coder that sometimes teaches. <laughs> and my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher that codes. I'm not gonna get yeah. used to that. <laughs> I know. It's, it's a little strange, the the new world that we're in. I I do get to teach, but not as uh not as daily as I used to. That's right. That's right. Well, thankfully I haven't been having to teach this week either, so <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to be on break. It is, totally. That's awesome. Well, this week we're going to be talking all about the future and preparing our students for that future. We're going to be talking about what it means to be global in the future and today. I think it's an it's an interesting topic. We've got a lot of good research and reading. Thanks to Kelly, you've been been pulling all this together, and I get the benefit of that. But this is something that I think both of us have thought about over the course of our careers and something that's constant in our conversations and in our classrooms is really thinking about how global everything really is these days and how we best prepare our students for a future where things are even more global. Yeah, 100%. And then with our our previous speakers and guests that we've had on the episode and with COVID-19 and going back to normal or not normal, this, this has been like... What's it? What's it called when it's like going over and over? I'm like percolating. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the word I was looking for. Well, it, Perseverating. It, it, yeah, it just keeps keeps recurring, right? It keeps Absolutely. coming back, and and there's a reason for that. And, and I'm excited to get into that with you and talk about both the bigger picture, but then how we bring that into our classrooms and into each student. That's really the important part: is how do we make it relevant for the individual learner? Absolutely. So I'm excited to dig in onto this. Well, before we do that, let's start with the wins of the week. Kelly, any particular notable wins this week other than not being in the classroom and having a little bit of time to, to decompress or think differently? That was my total win. I think I think my win this week is just that ability to be still, to shut down. I was pretty much shut down most of the time, only worked from 6 to 6.45 before everybody woke up, that nice silence in the in the cabin. So those have been wins. No coding wins, nothing else. Just again, I think the biggest one is just being still in the moment and enjoying the moment for me, which is hard. I kept saying, we should be doing something. We should be doing something. <laughs> and I kept reminding myself, no, we're not doing anything. So that's my win. I, I'm really happy for you. I'm, I know that that makes a difference when you get those moments to just calm down oh, and, and slow down. Not even any books for me. <laughs> That's been Which rare. Is, that is that is definitely a departure from normal for you. <laughs> All right. What about you? What have you been doing this work week? <laughs> well, I've been working on a bunch of things and I, I had some very productive days, some days where I was working the whole time, but didn't really feel like I was making any progress. But I think the the biggest win and it is a good start. I wouldn't say it's really there yet, but I relaunched my personal website over the weekend. So I have seantiber.com created again, has a little bit of information about me and, and and really just creating it as a way to have a spot for my own personal thoughts and reflections and, and everything that, you know, may have some things from teaching Python. It may have some stuff from teaching in general. It may have some stuff from my new professional career. So just a place to collect all of those things. And the coolest part about it was I used uh, a static site generator called Hugo. So the really nice thing about this is it's all written in Go, and it makes it really fast to be able to create static sites that you can then host 
for relatively low cost. I think I, I don't think I'm even paying anything to host mine on Netlify, Netlify. and it's really kind of cool. So I can create my content using Markdown and I can give it specific uh, commands or directives. And then I say go and it builds the whole site out and posts it to Netlify via GitHub. So I have all my versions of the site. I have my new posts. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. I, and because it's all static pages and not generated by Flask or Django or something like that, it loads really, really fast. The whole site is very responsive and quick to load, and I'm really enjoying it. So, That's pretty cool. Sorry, I just moved into the bathroom. No comment. Uh, no, I mean, I can see you on video. Like, it just needed a quiet spot, right? It's hard to find a quiet, quiet spot in a cabin. <laughs> yeah, so you're in a cabin in the woods this week, right? I am in a cabin in the woods in a tippy-top-top top cabin. We have no gas, and the gas guy just came in, so it's very important to have heat in the cabin in the woods. So, yes, website, very cool. And and just to go back to that, I think it's important and something that we really always comment on is the ability to go and be reflective and to write it out and being able to explain once you start writing things out and talking about it to somebody, regardless if it's writing it, it helps you to really document that idea and to flush out things that have happened. So that's awesome. That's a huge win. Yeah. So I'm excited right now. I basically have a hello world post and a little bit about me, but it's a start. So you got to start somewhere. Very cool. Any fails this week? You know, just the usual tech fails, like things that, that were supposed to be working and don't, and then you figure out a way through it and you rebuild, refactor all of that stuff. So just working through those things, I'm still very much enjoying what I'm doing and enjoying the team that I'm working with. And, and it's been really kind of nice to have that moment of realizing that, yeah, even though it may not always go perfectly, I feel like I'm at the peak of my technical knowledge so far, and it will just keep growing as I go. Very cool. Well, I had a mommy fail. I was telling you a little bit about it, but we had a massive cry session where, you know, crying doesn't solve any problems. And I wasn't the one crying. I was the one screaming, crying doesn't solve problems. (laughs) But my son had a crossbow and a ghast error. And I love their names of their errors in Minecraft. Let's just make it something that you can't, you have to search up and you have no clue what it means. And pretty much resulted in us deleting the app and losing all of his realms and all of his connections and all of his friends. And, and, you know, as you said to me, back up on the iCloud, I'm like, yeah, okay, (laughs) (laughs) whatever. It was just Minecraft in my mind, but just Minecraft is not a just thing when it comes to an 11 year old who is like addicted to playing with his friends. So you know, I, I have to say Minecraft is is definitely one of those apps that I think will be around for a very long time because it captures that element of play and creativity together, you know, and, and some kids use it for that purpose and some kids don't and that's that's OK. But the fact that there is a sense of loss when you lose your world is a sign that there's something of value there, that there's something that that was special and meaningful to them and, you know, that's going to happen again. There's going to be other moments of loss, but it's a good sign when when you lose something like that, that you're upset about it because it was something you didn't want to lose. It was had value. 
Absolutely. But we had a whole conversation of instead of freaking out, why aren't we reading the error messages? And so he was just like trying to remake new accounts. He comes back and he's like, I need you to go and do this code. And I'm like, what? What are you making new accounts for? I need a new account to get into Minecraft. I'm like, read the code, read the error, read the error. How could you be doing this? I'm a coder. Read the error. Let's Google it. But it's uh, funny, they were playing capture the flag with, I guess, sort of in the Minecraft world with two teams or about eight kids. Send me your coordinates. Oh, no, they're attacking our our secret base. And it was um, it's been a very interesting learning experience as a mother listening to them play new games inside of a virtual world. So I never got into it. Even, you know, I even growing up listening to my dad and his friends playing Atari football all night <laughs> in the same room, not in virtually, but it just gave me flashbacks. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it might be as good a place to start as any to talk about those skills and the the different worlds. We've talked about that a little bit with like Richard Collada, for example, around everyone, but especially young people are inhabiting two different worlds at the same time. They have the physical world and the virtual world and the skills that you and I grew up with in the physical world and with the face-to-face interactions and social norms don't always translate to that virtual world. And as we think about the future, we're all going to be living in those two worlds. And sometimes they're going to overlap. If you listen to, you know, meta now, they're thinking that it'll all be one metaverse that is indistinguishable and everything. But I don't think we're quite there. But there is definitely this idea that you are going to have virtual worlds that you inhabit that don't suffer from the same limitations of the physical world and proximity and location the way that we have in the past. Absolutely. Speaking of which, though, based on that whole meta world, and I will put the link in the show notes, but brookings.edu. I don't know um, what the Brookings Institute. Yeah, there you go. Brookings. Not Yeah. So, you know. They just did a really good article, came out February 14th, about a whole new world, education meets the metaverse. So it was a cool um, article talking about, this This is the interesting part, the same stuff we've been talking about with a new tool. Like, how is this experience? Yeah, it's going to be this whole cool thing where the kids can be archaeologists and can see, you know, be in Greece and dig up artifacts in the meta. But is it really educational? Are we still design, designing things to be just a fad or just an excitement? Or is it actually going to cause them to think critically? Are we enhancing these skills? So it's a pretty cool I think cool that's conversation. the right. I think that's the right conversation to have. So when it comes to things like this, I'm still highly skeptical about the whole metaverse concept at the moment because I haven't seen what's really different about this iteration of it. I went through the whole second life hype cycle back in the 2000s where, you know, everything was going to be done in second life. And you can literally take the same headlines from 2007 and 2008 and 2009 with second life and fast forward them to now and they're coming back again. You know, someone paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for virtual real estate next to Snoop Dogg in the metaverse. <laughs> Why? Why? Right? Why? So there is this whole there is a lot of this, like what's different, what's different about the world. But that being said, my skepticism of the technology and the hype around the metaverse aside, we can definitely acknowledge that 
you know, there is go- there are going to be needs for specific skills and specific capabilities and competencies of our learners in the future that may be related to the metaverse. They may be related to something different. It may be something we don't even see coming yet. But knowing that we should be thinking about the way that people learn, the way that they interact, the way that we have experiences that cause knowledge to be acquired, that cause skills to be built. You can't just take the same things that we've done in the physical world and put it on a VR headset and say, well, this should be totally fine. Let's see what happens. I wonder if they can fill out worksheets in the metaverse as well. (laughs) As a matter of fact, we're we're just going to stare at a worksheet and fill it out and with our meta pencil. And yeah, exactly. I mean, this is that great article, and it's talking about these apps. If if developers are going to start designing apps, they need to talk about not just capturing attention of the children, but how are we going to play out that transferable learning? How are we going to make sure that what what's happening is actually going to develop a skill? And I think that whole conversation comes into this, this topic that we're talking today, which was pretty cool. I don't know how yeah. we segue so naturally. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful, but I think it brings us right to the, the crux of the, of the conversation. So this is a, a beautiful place to get to because, you know, what we've identified here is that there is this problem of applying technology to to existing situations in ways that's not smart, not intelligent, doesn't respect the learner, doesn't respect their needs as a learner or as a person, slapping on a layer of technology and saying, good luck, have fun. So we think about that problem, like where does that come from? There are these major global trends that are occurring. There's these major things that are happening, both positive and negative, that we can literally see reshaping the world in front of us. And like any period of great change, you need to have certain skills and and knowledge and attitudes to be able to not just survive that change, but to thrive in it, to embrace it, to be a part of it and to shape the direction of it rather than being, you know, crushed under the wheels of it. Like it is, it's a big thing. So let's talk a little bit about some of these big trends that you see. So the first thing that you brought up, and I think we have some guests coming up in future episodes about this are the jobs that are being created or changed by technology as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, just just backing up a little bit, and I guess we'll talk about this in the episodes to come. But as an educator, I can't, I think it was 2007, there was this big video about shift happens and where are we going? How are we going to create these skills for kids for the jobs of the of the future that we don't know about? And that was a huge you know, all the teachers like, oh, we're preparing kids for jobs that we don't know. And I was reading an article. I said I didn't read any books, but I, you know, I can't help but reading some articles. But it was just like, we're we're not really trying to prepare our students for the jobs that don't exist. We're trying to prepare them for the emerging technologies and the stuff that is coming into, into play that don't already exist. Like, how are we preparing our kids? So then, yes, go into these jobs with new emerging technologies. It's it got us onto this conversation that you and I were having about what are these jobs that are happening now, and how did they come into play, and how did they transform over the years? So yeah, it, it, and look, we're all a part of it. The job that I have today of being a cloud engineer didn't exist when I graduated from college. It didn't exist. 10 or 12 years ago, really, except for maybe in a few small pockets. But but it's a, it's a real job. It is something that has 
work. It has a product that we're creating. It has value that we're creating for a company. Ideally, it's also helping take what we're doing and make it more efficient so it's more sustainable rather than running servers and network devices in our local data centers very inefficiently. We can shift them to cloud data centers that are better designed, better running. And so, you know, compute cycle for compute cycle, it should require less power, less water, less heat waste, all of these things that we should be trying to, you know, make as efficient as possible, especially if we design it in a smart way. Yeah. I mean, let's just look at our our role or my role as a computer science teacher, even going as simple as that. I mean, think about when you were in school. I mean, you probably you're younger than me, but we didn't have computer science. We- I didn't have computer science until I got to college. Like I didn't have a programming course. Like the only kid I knew who was doing computer science in high school was doing it as independent study. Yeah. Were you typing on, on, on typewriters too? The quick round fog? I think... I think my typing class was all computer based. Okay. I don't think we actually had to do it on a typewriter, but it was on a computer. I just dated myself. (laughs) it It was Mavis Beacon. I still have a crush on Mavis Beacon for teaching me how to type. Thank you, Mavis. But yeah, these things change quickly. And so especially if you project that outward, the today's high school graduates and college graduates over the course of their career are going to see even more change than you and I have experienced in our career in terms of the adoption of technology, the way that the work changes, the nature of the work. I mean, I think, yes, there were people who were working remotely or in distributed global teams 25, 30 years ago. This is not a new concept, but the adoption curve, the the number of people who are information workers and can work from anywhere is much higher than it was, you know, 30 years ago. But, But you take that a step further and say, Yeah, it's not just the fact that we're moving locations or that like I'm working from my garage instead of from an office cubicle. I still prefer my garage to an office cubicle, but there are skills that are not technical skills that are required for that. The social emotional knowledge, the emotional intelligence, the ability to see and understand someone and empathize with them remotely when you're sitting you know, around the world from one another and be able to collaborate with them, the cultural understanding, all of those things are skills that are necessary, not necessarily directly driven by the technology, but absolutely influenced by it. Yeah. I mean, I think I I wish there was a new key term and maybe there will be coming out that whole globalization. I've been, I've been Googling that for a little bit because we talk about the global classroom and I remember, and I don't know, like 2003, 2005, the flat classroom claim came about and there was a huge website and I forget her name and I'll Google it later where she brought in this connections of Skype and then it was Skype the expert. So globalization, yes, it's been going on since even the silk trade where right. where we were flattening the world by by trading abroad. But it's like this new sense of globalization instead of just in the trade world or the business world, as you said, it's actually come down to my eight-year-olds or five-year-olds or six-year-olds. They are experiencing that global connectiveness. I mean, all the kids that my son's playing with right now, one's a couple in Vail, some are in Vermont, some are in Florida. They're all over their place and they are running and 
and messaging to meet up at a time. It's like, we're going to meet up at our fort at the playground, you know, when we used to call on the phone, but now they're just sending text messages and, and getting that out. So it's, it's huge. Well, and one way to think about it, if you're going to use a technology term for it, is, is really looking at the latency of communications and the latency of information being shared. You know, it, the, before the information age, latency you know, was measured in the time it took to send a physical message. And then we have the it would telegraph and we can send things much faster. So across the country, across the ocean, th- things can be communicated nearly instantaneously, right? But there's still this lag time there. And if you want to ship goods, if you want to work with someone, you often might have to get on a ship or a plane or or travel to meet someone. You have the telephone, not the best, you know, sort of connection. But but this latency goes from being very high latency, long times in between when you and I could collaborate or work together or talk to one another or learn from one another down to latency being measured in milliseconds, right? So even though you and I are in different parts of the country right now, we can still connect and record a podcast together remotely because that latency is now fractions of a second. Right. And so when the fractions of a second latency is effectively the same, no matter where anybody is around the world. Right. Now we can start to look at the only limiting factor in terms of our ability to communicate are the working hours. What times can we actually meet up and the time zones, language barriers and culture barriers are the only thing that separate us now, not the physical distance. It's it's huge. It's mind blowing. And I think that that's when we start bringing this stuff into the classroom because the kids don't really see it. They don't really understand the the, the growth that we've seen over our years. And it, it goes into the fact of like teaching these pros and cons of of this tech world. And um, I know we talked about digital citizenship and, and teachers still think digital citizenship is, you know, don't post things online, make sure you change your password. And it's gotten bigger. And hopefully our listeners, you know, understand that from our our last few guests with Richard Collada and Will Richardson, it's this whole change. And the pros and cons of the tech world um, have gotten huge. It's huge. It's bigger than what you can imagine of just making sure, I mean, yes, making sure your password's safe, but now you have two two-factor authentic- authentication to deal with that kids are like, oh yeah, I need to do this. <laughs> no problem. Right. Well, and and I think this this is really the, the speed and scale of everything is beyond our own comprehension sometimes. Think about it like in the 19th century, Jules Verne wrote around the world in 80 days, which was at the time mind-blowing. You could travel around the entire world in under three months, like that this was a race to go around the world. And you know, now the fastest we can go around the world, if you're not in orbit, is in an airplane in less than a day, physically traveling. But I can send a ping around the world in probably 80 milliseconds, right? Like I can literally travel around the world with information. And that means that my reputation can travel around the world in under a second. My my brand, what people think of me, can travel around the world in under a second. And my collaboration, my knowledge, my contributions, the things that I have to share can also travel around the world in under a second. So all of those things can be used for 
pros and cons. We talked about some of this already. It's not just the speed of communications, but it's also once we have this and once we have this computing capability, it means that we have the ability for better AI. We have the ability for better data integrations, better data sharing, better data consumption, analysis. All of these things can be done in seconds. And that leads to both some very good things, but it also leads to some very scary things. So I I love this list of things that you came up with. Like (laughs) I I didn't come up with it. Just let's make sure I wrote it down. Collated them, collected them. I mean, it it makes me like feel uncomfortable to sleep tonight because all of these things are are real. Science fiction is becoming science reality faster than I think it ever has. Hundred percent. And we I was getting this from Global Insights from UNICEF. We're talking about you know. And I started feeling bad about some of the things I was thinking about with COVID-19. You, you know, it didn't really affect us. And that was that was really shallow of me to think about when I was reading this article. Yes, I know in, in tons of places around the world, it affected a lot of people. And a lot of the times we say, well, education wasn't lost. No, maybe it wasn't lost to a developed country. But I know Peru was out, that whole country was out of school for almost two years with limited internet access, with, you know, people that didn't have computers, people that didn't have ways to connect, people that, yes, they had a cell phone, but it was their parents' cell phone. They had one and they had limited, you know, access to to cellular data. So I started reading about these things and all this, this negative issues, this things that had happened because of this tech world, because of the pandemic, because of the things that happened. And how are we preparing our students today to combat that issue if it happens or when it happens again in their lifetime? How are we going to combat the negative effect of that technology that was, you know, that the rest of the world had had faced, you know, that and I was like, oh, (laughs) Well, and, and there's also an implicit assumption in there also that has to be addressed, which is that how do we make sure that our students recognize this as a problem, mm-hmm. especially in developed countries? Because we we as humans have a tendency to focus on our own issues and our own problems and the things that are happening right around us or that personally affect us. But building that empathy to be able to look across borders and across streets even sometimes to see what's happening to other people and recognize that that is a problem that needs to be addressed. You know, one of the the technologies that's emerging that is both positive and problematic are these low earth orbit satellites that provide internet access on one hand they are they're you know basically low orbiting space debris like they have a purpose but but there's all kinds of issues with astronomy research with potential collisions with other objects like there's a lot of things that we had to be rightfully concerned about but on the other hand these lower earth orbit satellites are bringing high speed, low latency, good quality internet to people that have never had access to it before or had very limited access to it. This is something that could be tremendously transformative, not just for people in our country that are in rural areas that have limited access to high speed internet, but this could be transformative to developing countries all around the world to help bring that access to more people. And and I believe that 
every person should have access to technology like this because of the empowering effect that it has on their ability in life, their ability to set their own direction and, and have some freedom to create the opportunities they want for themselves. Yeah. And that brings into, and I, I know our listeners know we, we, we work in a, a very fluent, you know, private school where I feel we have a very strong obligation to make sure that these students who have a, you know, a an edge up, I guess some of them, not all of them have an edge up financially that they can help make a difference in the emerging technology world. Like how can we really help to promote social good and, and how to use emerging technologies to combat, you know, internet issues or poverty issues or, you know, financial issues, thinking about the financial technology, technology revolution. How is that going to affect lower or developing countries? What's going to happen when the money goes all online? So I feel like there's a huger, a huger, that's not a word, <laughs> I'm on vacation, a huger, a, a big, a big responsibility in education to really, really teach what you said, empathy and, and social good in the digital world. Yeah, and it, it is also a challenging environment because of the rising inequality that happens. These are all technologies that should be equalizing the playing field or at least giving um, people an equal shot. But in some ways, even though these are happening, there's still measurable differences in inequality that we have not been able to overcome, both in our own country and around the world. Yeah. So just to make a little switch on a positive, because we want to get too negative, just read today from this, you know, negative UNICEF article, but it's good. It's really good. But the first mRNA, mRNA vaccine, vaccine that came from the, you know, COVID and before that, now they're able to look at tuberculosis, malaria, HIV. They're talking about clinical trials coming up. So it's teaching these things where we can, out of something that was negative, this pandemic, how can we take that technology and create more positive technologies in the future? So that's a lot of things that I was, I was thinking about, you know, kids talk about technology and we, we talk about Python and coding and the kids always say, but why do we have to learn coding? I mean, even in this day to age, they're still asking that, but it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere, right. regardless if it's mRNA or if it's electric vehicles, AI, whatever. It's everywhere. So and and it's empowering. This is one of the areas where I think the there's going to be that digital access divide, where students who have knowledge and understanding of principles of coding and computing and networks and technology will have a distinct advantage over students who don't or avoid that that information. And the ironic thing is, is once you have access to the internet and once you have access to technology, most of that information is right there. A lot of the first documentation, the first knowledge that was shared on the internet was about the internet, right? <laughs> like it was, it was like, here's how this thing that you're using actually works. So that's why, you know, it may be hard to get a medical school education online. Like I still want my doctor to have some practical hands-on experience and things like that. But medical schools have more and more hybrid models for delivering information. But a technology degree, could be acquired entirely online 
And it could be done from anywhere as long as you have an adequate internet connection and a laptop. So these sorts of, of you know, possibilities are really going to be transformative. And where our students, I think, will really thrive is once they are able to apply this knowledge to areas that have not been able to take advantage of it in the past. So if you look back to one of our earliest episodes where we talked about AI and agriculture, one of the things that's constantly been on my mind has been how much of a need there is for bringing high-speed internet to the middle of a cornfield, which is like <laughs> the ironic thing is like, why would we need that? But think about all the downstream effects that that has. If you have smarter, more intelligent, more efficient farming and agricultural processes, it means that we can feed more of the world. It means that fewer people have to go hungry if we can be more efficient with our food production and distribute that food production. America is amazing at producing grains and crops and agricultural out, out products, but actually getting that to the places that need it is very difficult. But if we could start to bring the agricultural means of production to the places that are in need of the food itself, that means that we don't have to spend the shipping costs, the carbon um, footprint of, of moving stuff on ships and airplanes and everything like that. It can be conducted right in the places where it's needed. So it starts to more efficiently distribute that capability when we have smarter technology that we can use for something as, as traditional as agriculture. You just gave me a really cool idea for a cool lesson. Like where in the world does, do you think technology does not exist and how could we make it like a positive impact and exist? I'm like thinking, you know, in the middle of the rainforest, is there technology sitting there? And at what point in time can we get, I mean, I'm sure you can, I'm sure it's already there, but talking to the kids, like where in the world is there not technology and how could that technology be implemented in order to do a positive change or have a positive effect on the world? That would be a fun exercise, very deep in, <laughs> in conversations and bringing up the, the AI and agriculture. I, I, one of the students used the circuit playground last week because I made them do that activity about sustainable goals. And it was looking at produce. Can you imagine if, you know, while that robot that's picking the produce is able to sift it out and, and become more efficient or used more around the world, how much food loss would be reduced? You know, right? how could we, how can we benefit the world and the economy and and trash, et cetera, et cetera, by using technology. Very cool questions. Yeah, and and that's really the the key to all this is that you know the what's the there's a quote I think it's attributed to William Gibson, the author, but I don't think it's it's actually him or it's hard to pin down. But the quote is the future is already here; it's just not evenly distributed. So if you think about it, if you go to any metropolitan city in around the world, you have ridiculously high-speed internet, you have wealthy people who are able to pay for it and use it and have access to all of that technology. And now you can, you know, you can go to your phone and I can order something from Amazon and by this afternoon it can be here. And there's this whole global supply chain that goes into that. There's all these amazing apps that are created, technology that's created. If you have the money and the means, you can get pretty much anything futuristic that we could think of. If you want to fly to New York on your own private jet, you can do that. If you want to go into space now, 
with enough money, you can do that. The future is here, but in the same world where people have that kind of uh, capability, we also have people who don't have access to clean drinking water. Mm -hmm. We have people who don't have the fuel to cook food properly. We have crop failures. We have starvation. We have all of these things that coexist in the same world. And how do we make start to bring that together? And I think that's where if we come back to the world that our students are going to have to navigate and the skills that we need to teach them, it really comes back to how do you go into that world as an adult and make a positive change in the world? How do you make a positive difference in the world? That's all we aspire to do is to make the world better than we found it. And we're sending these students into a world that may not be better or worse, but it is certainly different than the world that we entered into as adults when we came in. 100%. And and not to give away any of our cool conversations that are going to be coming up in the next wet month, but I'm so excited because what you were just talking about is one of our guest speakers and I I don't know the exact date, but talking about envisioning humanity. And we have these smart cities and we have smart cars. But again, yes, they're doing some good things, but they're only doing good things in a small amount of areas. And even though, and I and the UNICEF article says electric vehicle sales are expected to more than double in 2022, which is great, but <laughs> it's not necessarily doubling around the world unanimously or equally. You know, right. it's only in pockets, and so that this this revolution of technology is very very well divided. Still, it's interesting. You know, I think you bring up a good point, which is. You know, it's easy to look at, you know, replacing a Honda Civic or an equally small compact car with a Tesla and go, wow, we, we did so much. And it, it is a significant improvement. Like what, let's be honest, it's a, a significant improvement. But if we really want to see widespread change, we have to address the bigger systems, the scale problems. The most exciting electric vehicle now is not the next Tesla. And it's not the next family-friendly crossover SUV that's electric. Like we saw all those commercials on the Super Bowl here in the U.S. It's the Ford F-150 Lightning. It's the Chevy Silverado pickup truck. It's the electric semi-truck. It's the things that, that are used all day, every day, not just for commuting, but it's for people doing their jobs, getting work done. It's for logistics. It's for shipping. It's for, you know, how do we make... You know, like one thing you never think about is like locomotive engines. The locomotives that we use to transport freight on rail lines have gotten fabulously more efficient over the last 50 to 100 years, where it's one of the most efficient ways to move a pound of goods from one place to another. But there's more to be done. So those scale problems where we pat ourselves on the back for saying, oh, I used a, a paper straw instead of a plastic straw, or I did, I did one small thing. Those things all add up, but the place where we can really make a difference is at scale. When we start to think about fleets of trucks, we think about, you know, how many trucks does your electric company drive around? How many of those could be electrically powered? How many of them could have a backup power, you know, uh, source? Like, those sorts of things are where we will really start to see the world transform. And we're not quite there yet. No, there is. I was trying to look for his name of the company, but a former student of mine actually works for a company that has its first electric 
truck, semi trucks that, and they're putting it off in Europe. I'll try to find the link of of the company. I don't know if it's the first, but the way that I was reading the LinkedIn, it seemed like it's pretty pretty relatively new and unique. So it it's gotta it's gotta be widespread. And and while you were talking, I was just thinking about you know the cities that we've lived I've lived in or have traveled to the ones with these high populations who don't even have exhaust or emission control on their cars you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> yay we got a smart car but yet in Lima where there's five cars driving in a two lane highway with that are running from you know this is not so bad anymore but it was um you know, 10 years ago, but driving down the road and the cars are from 1970, 1960 and just sputtering out black smog as we go along. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I have to read this quote from this book that I'm going to be reading as soon as I get done with my vacation. And this is kind of like the stem of it, but it, it kind of summarizes where we're going. It says, this is, however, the starting claim for the contention that to produce Productively wheeled technology requires humans who understand both technology and themselves, which goes into this SEL that all the schools should be promoting social emotional learning, possess the knowledge to capitalize on technology's affordances and mitigate its dangers and the moral judgment to determine when it is and it isn't being employed for the betterment of their communities and society. I think that's going to be like our theme for the next two months when we start talking about this. How are we how are we wielding our students to grow, to use technology, to use their social emotional learning, to build a better place, you know, going into biases and AI and that's great. And that's a huge step in the right direction, but that's not the only step. Yeah. And, and the, the key thing there, and this is really tough and it's tough, it's hard to teach, you know, it's something that can really only be learned through experimentation through trying and failing and having good coaches and mentors, whether that's parents or teachers or, you know, trusted adults or peers to help guide you through this, is that there are many, many problems that have been created with technology with the best of intentions. I want to solve this problem, and I did, but then I created eight others as a result of that. I think social media is a great example of this. It was created to solve one problem which was to connect people online. And it does that fabulously. But at the same time, it also drives disconnection. And it drives all these other problems that that we are now experiencing as we are working our way through that. So this idea of, yes, having technology and also having self-awareness of having understanding of oneself and of others and understanding human nature is a critical skill because you know, I get excited about the future. Like I could talk about the future all day. I could talk about what's possible, like why this is really possible. And this other thing isn't like, I can do all of those things, but where I'm really going to get excited and where I get really inspired by our students is knowing that some of them are going to come up with those ideas that I never saw coming that come up with that problem that you never see until someone points it out and says, this is a problem and I'm going to go fix it. And helping them build the skills and build the empathy and the understanding and the insight and all of those pieces that go into being able to recognize a problem and create a solution for it and do it in a way that doesn't cause a million other problems is one of the most exciting and inspiring things about working with 
students that are going to inherit this world, like that they are going to see things that we never thought of and we never saw coming because of our own biases. They're going to be able to take that on and go, go run with it. 100%. I'm not even going to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, we get too deep. I'm on vacation. <laughs> well, we've, I mean, we've covered a lot of things. We've, we've talked about a lot of futuristic things and it's always hard to talk about the future and talk about these big picture things because it, at least for me, it always feels like we're, we're walking away without having actually come up with concrete things that you can do today. Like but there isn't really, that's the, I think that's the whole point of the conversation it isn't concrete. We just need to keep preparing the students for all these emerging technologies. I feel like in in our role, in my role at Pinecrest, we have that benefit of I'm I constantly can bring in the emerging technologies and they know that I I get these things and I'm like, well, look at this and what are the positiveness and what are the the issues with this and how could this be used for positive change and talking about the metaverse and and just making sure that we highlight this and keep investigating ways to use this as a, a good way to solve problems and try to remind them of the bad things that are out there and not say don't do it, but just to be aware that these things exist. Cybersecurity, why do we have two factors? Why do we why do we do the things that we do? Why do we talk about our AUPs and and why why do we have these restrictions and and what does it do or how can you use them to stay safe and benefit your learning so it's just those conversations well and and then the other important part too as teachers as parents as as educators of one form or another in order to help kids learn about how to use and embrace emerging technology, you have to expose them to emerging technology. You have to show that to, to them. You have to let them play with it. You have to let them make mistakes and break things and learn from that. And it's that whole idea of one of the ways that I learned about computers and hardware and how they worked was my dad brought home the computer and said, you can do anything you want to it, but if you break it, you have to fix it. I right? think you, I think you should buy some real estate for teaching Python podcasts and we will release our podcast in the metaverse. <laughs> I will go take out a loan for $100,000. We can be right between Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. It'll be amazing. <gasps> Martha Stewart. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, you ready to hear some share outs for some of our email yeah, listeners? Yeah. I have been working hard. When I said I'm on vacation, I, I really have gotten a lot of good stuff done. Um, I have to do a little shout out, shout out for a few things. Mark Williams from the Microbit Education Foundation sent me us. I say me because I, <laughs> I was You're the one responding to email. You can say me. That's fine. I get it. Um, Python.microbit, the alpha version. I hope it's released. He was asking if we had anyone in the UK and Australia who used this. Um, it was really cool. I checked it out. You know, when you would go to the microbit version of Python, python.microbit.org, you would just have this information. You have this website. Well, they took a new improved and they chunked it into great concepts with the microbit and the code's right there. And it's easy to easier to follow. It's more child friendly. It's got a lot of cool things in there, little snippets. So I thought that was really cool. And we'll do that for the show notes. Also, you know, 
I was pulling in some really, I, I was digging back a couple of years on the emails. I'm really bad at that. I'm sorry, people. But Mark Wilson sent, <laughs> sent us because I guess we were talking about the regex and I was really hit on that from PC World, Python regex cheat sheets, which really cool. If you're into regex, you know, I'm moving on a little bit from that. I have, haven't played a lot with them, but I checked it out and it's got a great list of, you know, the um, percent signs, the a slash Z lowercase, et cetera, et cetera. So you can do proper searches. And who else, who else, who else, who else? A couple, I'm not going to announce some of these because they're going to be some of our listeners I'm really excited about. And yeah, that's that's it for now. I'm not going to share anything else because there's more to come out there. <laughs> well, I like the episode with with Andre, Les, who's our, our neighbor here in South yes. Florida. He teaches at one of the um, area schools. And, you know, he brought up the episode with Becky Smetter back on episode 80 and talking about vocabulary versus narrative, which I thought was really great as well. It's like using the proper vocabulary and teaching that vocabulary versus losing the narrative thread of explaining what's happening and, and telling the story of what's happening in the code or in the Python. So I just I thought that was a great shout out. It was a really great point from that episode that I I think Becky really did a fantastic job of explaining how she uses that in astrophysics. So if you get a chance to go back and listen to that episode, it's a really good one. One of my favorites from the last 12 months or so. Yeah. Um, and then I, you had a, you had a definitely a nerd crush going on. You pick on me about Colt, Colton. A hundred percent. I have to tell you, I admire her for her intellect and the way she teaches and gets people excited about science. We need more people in the world like that. You, you, she, he, she had you at galaxies. You kept thinking, dun, 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 dun. dun. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. She has a whole reaction video to the first image coming off of the James Webb Space Telescope. It's so good. My my daughter is just adores her. So we have the best time learning about space with Dr. Becky. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it was it was really good and one of the ones I'm most proud of over the last year. Cool. Shout out for Luxembourg International School. We are presenting on March 8th. I, March 8th it's you can get your tickets I think I, I think it's a free but you have to do invent bright on it it's is lux March 8th learning loft it's pretty cool if you haven't checked out that link please go there they have so many good guest speakers I've seen a lot of them in South America one of the ones that was really cool and he presented earlier I'm trying to find the link to it. Uh, there's a c whole bunch of people, but we're on there. No really why coding. We're going to be talking about that and so much fun. I'm excited. Yeah. I wanted to also kind of pull our audience as well. If you've been working with some cool stuff in Python or outside of Python stuff, you want to share with us like that alpha version of python.microbit.org, send it our way. Like we love to hear this stuff. We'd love to feature it on the show, share it with more educators and just get the word out about it. So you can hit us up on Twitter for that through our website, but pretty much any of those things that you find that should be shared with others send them our way and we'll make sure we get them out to to the other listeners and and let them have a chance to play with it also. I do want to give a shout out to 
our listeners also, to you, our listeners, we passed a pretty big milestone earlier this month. Actually, I think it was late last month. I'm, I'm very excited about it. We now have over 300,000 downloads of the Teaching Python podcast in the three years since we started. So that is really thanks to our listeners, everyone who shares it with another teacher or a friend who says, hey, check this out. Uh, big thanks to the other podcasts that have uh, worked with us over the years, like especially Michael Kennedy and Brian Aachen and Julian and Bob and, you know, like so many people to mention that have really gotten the word out about us, even that that uh, post that we had on Hacker News got a bunch of people listening to the podcast. It really is amazing how quickly the listener base for this has grown. And I couldn't be happier to be connected with each of you. It is the the most amazing experience to have this great network of, of educators and Pythonistas around the world. Talk about going global. We have listeners everywhere. <laughs> and my world got incredibly, incredibly small. One of our listeners actually worked with another one of my colleagues from the UK. And it's insane. It's insane. And it's just, it's amazing how connected we are just from the internet. So, I mean, that sounded stupid, but you know what I meant. <laughs> well, you know, it's it all started from you and I having these great conversations in our classroom and wanting to involve more people. And I'm really, I'm really just happy to see how far it's gone and how much it's meant to people. Several of the listening emails that we've gotten just recently talk about how they don't have anybody else to talk to about these things. They don't have someone to have the conversation with about teaching and learning computer science and how to be an educator in this space. And this podcast is for you. Our goal is always to have you as that third person in the room or fourth person or fifth person, depending on how many guests we have. But you're always with us when we record. We, it means the world to us that you've come with us on this journey. And we have so many more exciting things to come, especially thanks to Kelly's hard work booking guests over the last few few months. Yeah, we're excited. I'm so excited about our lineup. Um, we're having we're talking about jobs in Python coming up. We've got our teachers in computer science coming up. We have Envisioning Humanity with another speaker that's coming up. I'm not trying to promote it too much, but lots of fun things. Keeping Sean busy. Don't worry, he's not going anywhere. Still talking about teaching and still keeping me um, reflecting constantly and pushing me to practice more Python. So, yeah. and we're And I just booked my hotel oh. and my conference registration for PyCon US in uh, April. So we're gearing up for that. We're getting excited. I was thinking we need to actually make stickers this year to hand out to everyone and, and share. So regardless of how many stickers we hand out at the conference, I would love to get some stickers that we can send out to our our listeners and and help you kind of show your your love and affiliation with the show. So it's been, I know this, this brings to a close the love fest with our audience, but uh, Time to turn off the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think this is a, as good a place to to end as any. But one last time, thank you all for supporting the show, for supporting us. A big thanks to our Patreon supporters who took it one step further and actually gave us a few bucks a month. It really does help to keep things moving, especially when I need a break and I can send it off to Fiverr to have someone else do the audio production. It really does help us keep things moving and and keep things moving forward. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yes. 
Okay. So if you want to get in touch with us, um, if you want to send your own listener emails for Kelly to look through and make me feel guilty about not doing my part, the best place to do that is through our website, teachingpython.fm. If you'd like to connect with us on Twitter, you can always reach us at teachingpython. I'm at smtiber on on Twitter and Kelly is at Kelly Pared on Twitter. I'm going to give out your personal phone number now, Kelly. So people apparently I have like five different Hotmail Outlook accounts out there too. So don't send those anywhere to those because I don't even know how to get into those. Thanks to my son. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely been a bit of proliferation there. I can I have some ideas for you. <laughs> Thanks. I need, right. a, I need a, a search, a Python search to automate that for me. <laughs> I, I think we can make that happen. So we'll, right. we'll get right on that. We'll uh, wrap up the show here. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off. Mm-hmm.